0: Thanks for tuning in. The following audio is from Redemption Church, located in the heart of San Francisco, California. We are a multi-ethnic, intergenerational church that exists to make disciples. For more information, visit www.redemptionsf.com. Hey, I'm excited because today we're starting a new series we've entitled Rebuild And today, we're going to begin a number of weeks' journey. We're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, the first part of verse 4, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Look at this with me. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. This is the word of the Lord, Lord church. Amen. Amen. I've tagged our time together, Rebuilding Against All Odds, Rebuilding Against All Odds. Uh, It was a 139-year-old Victorian building, and you probably saw this in uh, our local news news. There was this Victorian beauty of a building moved. It was literally jacked up and moved six city blocks in San Francisco. Uh, It took nearly 15 different agencies to make this thing happen. They were literally moving around street lights and power lines to get this thing through the streets. Uh, It was in tow by this massive truck and leading the way were these other pickup trucks with wide load signs attached to them. I mean, this thing was massive, do you know that it took some $400,000 just to move this building, this beautiful Victorian, six city blocks in San Francisco? I mean, streets were shut down. This was a massive uh, feat and a massive action. And you might be asking yourself, why in the world? Uh, Why in the world wouldn't they just demo this building? And in fact, one of the contractors who was assigned to help move this Victorian building, he was asked the same thing. And you know what he said? This is a work of art. This thing has wood on it that is 800 years old. You can't find wood like this any longer. Like this thing is a beautiful work of art, you don't demo this thing, you know what you do, you rebuild it. So they jacked up this Victorian home and they moved it six city blocks. The only reason anybody would invest that kind of time and energy and money is if something is valuable enough. If you see the value, if you see the significance in something, that's the only reason you're going to invest that kind of energy, time, and money and resources into property or anything else, for that matter, like what we saw. And that's what they saw. Saw great value and It was worth the investment to rebuild. It's going to become kind of a multifamily property, and they're literally going to attach it to a new foundation, attach it to an additional building, and this this 139-year-old Victorian is going to become one building with another building. They're going to drop it on another foundation, and they're going to make it multifamily units. They saw the value in it. See, the story of Nehemiah is just that. The story of Nehemiah begs the question Do you see the value of rebuilding on behalf of the kingdom of God? Do you see the value of being a strategic presence in the city? Nehemiah begs the question. When the city is most vulnerable, do you feel a sense of responsibility to run to her aid for the glory of God? Do you see the value? Do you see the significance? I want you to know that when we come to Nehemiah, uh, some might ask the question, why in the world are we studying a book like Nehemiah? Why is this important? And I want to tell you why. Here's why. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 44 with me. It says this, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be These are the words of Jesus. And I love what PhD Tim Mackey says about this, how he describes this. Listen, Jesus is literally describing the Hebrew Bible when he says these words. He's describing the Old Testament, which, hear me, would include, of course, Nehemiah. Jesus says everything written in the Hebrew Bible must be fulfilled. That includes Nehemiah. That's that's why we're going to cling to and walk through and study the book of Nehemiah because Jesus says it it, it is important for us. Jesus looks at the Hebrew Bible and he says everything in it must be fulfilled. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 through 16 with me. This is another reason why it's important for us to study uh, the book of Nehemiah. Look at this with me. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Ooh, I love that. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Are you hearing what the Apostle Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy? That the sacred writings, do you know what he's pointing to? The Hebrew Bible again. They will make you wise for salvation. He says the scriptures, he uses that word, the scriptures, and he's pointing to the Old Testament scriptures. Again, the Hebrew Bible, they are good for you. They're profitable for you for correction and reproof. They're good for teaching and training in righteousness. You need the book of Nehemiah. You and I need to cling to the book of Nehemiah. Books like Nehemiah, they make us wise for salvation. They're helpful for us. They correct us. They teach us. They train us in righteousness. Here's the deal. Listen, we cannot fully understand the book of Nehemiah without seeing it uh, in its historical uh, position, And essentially, Nehemiah would have been tied to the book of Ezra. And most scholars agree on this, that Nehemiah is basically kind of the part two of of the one whole book, and Ezra is a part of that. Ezra is kind of the part one, and Nehemiah is kind of the part two. But you really can't understand the book of Nehemiah, and you can't understand Ezra if you were to walk through Ezra without looking to Jeremiah and understanding a bit of the book of Jeremiah. See, in Jeremiah, there was a prophetic word that came. And in Jeremiah, that prophecy essentially said that judgment would come to the nation of Israel, that judgment would come to God's people. And really, that judgment would come through the hands of the Babylonians. The nation of Israel would find themselves in ruin and in exile at the hands of the Babylonians. That was a prophetic word in Jeremiah. Why? Because Israel essentially broke covenant with God. Uh, they were involved in idol worship. They, they were literally, the Bible is rated R, they were literally sacrificing babies outside the temple. They were giving their allegiance to foreign gods. Their priests were corrupt. And, and this 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 broke the heart of God. It it angered God, this kind of righteous anger. And not only were their priests corrupt, but they were also preying on the poor and the most vulnerable in society. I mean, they, they were misusing them at every turn. And the prophecy becomes a reality. And God allowed the Babylonians to conquer the nation of Israel, and the people are in ruin. And the walls of Jerusalem are, are, are down. And, and so really, both Ezra and Nehemiah, they give us a glimpse into what it's like to put the pieces back together. When the bottom falls out, when, when trouble ensues, when, when, when everything hits the fan and, and, and things are in ruin, we get a glimpse into how to put the pieces back together. A friend of mine some years ago um, uh, unfortunately committed an affair and uh, committed adultery. And uh, it, it, was, it was a devastating thing for his entire family. Um, his wife was devastated, had children, children was devastated because it really just kind of, um, it really threatened to tank their entire family. Uh, there were times where his wife could not stand to look at him, and he had to go sleep on the couch of friends uh, there There were times where um, tears would flow, and they could not be stopped i mean I, I I witnessed many of them. There were enough tears, even from my friend and also from his wife, to fill up the Pacific Ocean. I mean, it was heartbreaking they they experienced this devastating event and it threatened to wreck their whole family, and um, they, they had to go through the struggle of it. Um, there were times where it, it kind of got to the point where it's like, you got to give me all your passwords. I need to be able to go through your phone at any point. Uh, there were times late in the midnight hour where uh, my friend's wife would just cry all night, broken hearted. There were times where they had to go uh, for many, many months. They had to go to intense counseling um, individually, but also together. And by the grace of God, they were able to put the pieces of their marriage back together. And they're still working on it. And they were able to kind of find love again. They were able to find trust again. And and it hadn't been easy, but they're on this journey. They were able to put the pieces back together. That's Ezra and Nehemiah. All hell broke loose. The city, Jerusalem, is in Ruin. The walls of the city are broken down, and they find themselves in a place where they not only been conquered by the Babylonians, they would then get conquered by the Persians, and they have to put the pieces back together. The city is in ruin. So they begin this journey. See, Ezra is about returning to God and rebuilding the temple Ezra is about a return to God and restoration of the scriptures and a restoration of a second temple. But Nehemiah is about rebuilding the city itself and rebuilding the city's infrastructure. Nehemiah is about both structural and spiritual renewal. Nehemiah has a position of power. Here is a guy who the the Bible says he is a cupbearer to the king. He has power. He has influence. And what it means to be a cupbearer is literally he would taste the king's food and taste the king's drink to make sure it was safe for the king to consume. He was a trustworthy individual who had power and influence. And yet, he cared. There's a couple things that we learned from the book of Nehemiah. First, godly people have a concern for others. We see this in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is, he's at the capital of Persia called Susa when his brother and others come back from Judah. And, and Nehemiah, you know what he does? He, he asks the question. He asks, he asks his brother and the other men that are coming from Judah, what's happening? Give me the lowdown on Jerusalem. What has happened in Jerusalem? What's going on there? He expresses concern. He knows Israel is in trouble. The Persians have conquered the Babylonians. And, and, and the nation of Israel, they are still in exile. And Nehemiah hears that the walls of Jerusalem are down. Listen to what they say in verse 3. Look at this with me. The remnant there in the providence who had, uh, in the providence who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are are destroyed by fire. See, the walls of a city signaled security. The walls of a city signal might and glory. Broken down walls, you know what they mean? They mean disgrace. They mean dishonor. It means that Jerusalem is vulnerable to every kind of attack or every kind of enemy, and Nehemiah is actually concerned. He's not even there. And he asks the question, what is happening in Jerusalem? His heart is still at home in some sense, even though he has a prominent position in in the Persian kingdom. He is the cupbearer to the king, and yet he is still concerned with her. He is concerned with the city. See, godly people are genuinely concerned for others, it was Jesus in the gospel. Uh, it was Jesus in the gospel that would say, what, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. It was Jesus at the cross of Calvary as Jesus is bearing the weight and the burden and, and, and the, the intensity of your and my sin. You know what? The words that he uttered, the words that came out of his mouth. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. See, godly people are genuinely concerned with others. You and I ought to be concerned about the walls, the proverbial walls that are down in our city. We ought to beg the question, even in a pandemic, How can we be concerned with others? How can we be the aroma of Jesus in the city? Folks, without work, the walls of the city are down. People have lost wages. The walls of the city are down. Family members are sick. The walls of the city are down. Families struggling under the weight of working from home and having kids. Who, who don't have a place to go, who, who are studying on Zoom. The walls of the city are down. Men and women battling with depression and loneliness because they don't have the same outlets that they would normally have. The walls of the city are down. I'd venture to say we have some walls, San Francisco, that are down. Listen, we need people... Who are ready and willing to be concerned with others and to rebuild the city? Uh, the other day, uh, my wife and I were driving in in the city, and and uh, we came to this intersection. It was it was crazy. It was a stop sign, and uh, we we all of a sudden began to do this intersection dance. Anybody know what the intersection dance is? Where it literally uh, a pedestrian was about to walk uh off the off the sidewalk into the pedestrian walkway and and she just kept like she kept and I, I would let off the gas and I'm like oh I'm putting my hand up oh you you go and she's like no you go and, and at that very moment like I would try to hit the gas and she would like back up and I'm like no you you go and she'd say no you go we were literally doing the intersection dance. I don't know she must have been new because usually the 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 you know the pedestrians, they just walk out into the intersection. There's no. She 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 was the transplant. You know, let's be honest. She hadn't been here that long. But but listen, uh, that that that's the heart of um, what God wants to say through Nehemiah. That that godly people are concerned with others. It's this attitude that says, "No, you go. No, what what are your needs? What you." Let me put your needs before my own. That's what happens with godly people because we understand what Christ has done for us. We understand that Christ stood in our place for our sin. And because he was concerned about us, we now get to be concerned about others. But lastly, I want you to see this. Godly people grieve over what grieves God. Godly people grieve Over what grieves God. Look at the first part of verse four. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept and mourned for days. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your heart breaking for what breaks the heart of God? We need to grieve over the brokenness in our city more than we complain, because I know uh, I'm one of them. We complain a lot about the brokenness in our city. But godly people grieve, and the grief leads them to action. The other day, uh, I went to serve with ministry called Mobilize Love, and we're hopeful that we can one day like have this thriving, flourishing, consistent partnership with Mobilized Love. And uh, we were in the Fillmore, and uh, we actually own Fillmore Street. And Mobilize Love is this mobile ministry, and they pull up with food trucks, and they have the capacity to do a variety of things. But on this particular day, we were feeding hungry people food. And but there, I was really marked by one thing. There was this little girl who was volunteering with her mom, and, and and she was in the back of the truck, y'all. I mean, she was she was rolling, and she she was setting up plates, and she was putting mac and cheese and and this amazing rotisserie chicken onto the plates, and she was excited about it. And 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 honestly, when I got a chance to get in the truck. I was just trying to be as excited as she was to kind of do my thing. This little girl who was half my size, she could barely reach up to the counter, y'all. There she is in the food truck, sweating bullets, serving plates. And and I was encouraged by her. I I was challenged by her because that's what godly people do. Godly people are, are grieved over what grieves God. When they see hungry people, they they are grieved and they are encouraged uh, into action. They, they, they want to get into a truck and feed somebody a plate. God, godly people are excited to do that. Nehemiah sees the walls of the city broken down, and he mourns over it. He is grieved over what grieves God. That's that's the church. That's a call, a beck and call to the church that our hearts should break over the escalated cases of Asian violence in San Francisco, that our hearts should break over the homelessness in San Francisco, that our hearts, that we should grieve over the, the public drug use in our city and not merely complain about it. We should grieve over it. Our hearts should be broken over what breaks the heart of God. That's what happens with Nehemiah. He, he sees what's going on in the city, and he is grieved over it. And I love it because as we journey through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to be encouraged to lace up our boots and to put on our gloves that we may actually rebuild. Do you know so every every good household y'all has every good household has a just a great box of tools like every every good household thank you every good household has a a, a great toolbox and if i'm honest like when my wife and i got married i didn't have anything she had all these great tools like she was like ready to get things going like every good household like has you know, some stuff in the toolbox. I mean, you might have some gloves in the toolbox because there are times where you just need to get things done and and you don't want to go call somebody else. You just need to do it yourself. So maybe you got some gloves in the toolbox and maybe you, you've got a hammer in the toolbox and maybe you've got a tape measure in the toolbox because there are some jobs that you just need to do yourself. And I think as we Picture, and as we journey through the book of Nehemiah, that's what he does. Nehemiah goes into his toolbox, and and, and he sees, I don't know how this got in the toolbox. (laughs) How the world did a hatchet? But listen, you never know what kind of job you will have to get into. There are some things that you just have to do yourself, and I think God's call on his church is to put our gloves on, church, And to grab our hammer and to be willing to get our hands dirty to rebuild for the kingdom of heaven. To rebuild for the kingdom of God. And the walls of San Francisco are down and God has placed his church here on purpose. It's not an accident redemption that we're here. There may be fewer of us, but that's all right. He's placed us here. To to open up our toolbox and to grab some tools, you know, and to to begin to get to work. Sometimes those tools may be a tool of fasting. Sometimes that tool may be the tool of prayer. Sometimes that tool may be an encouraging note. Sometimes that tool may be an extra tip because you know some of these mom and pop businesses are struggling. Sometimes that tool may be an extra tip to your Uber Eats driver or your delivery guy because it's hard times out here. But God has placed his church here on purpose, and it was at the cross. It was at the cross that God left nothing undone. God said, you know what? I'm not just going to rebuild you, but I'm going to make you new. And he came after us, y'all. He pursued us at the cross of Jesus Christ. He pursued us to not only rebuild us, but to make us new, that he might send us out as new men and women in the city of San Francisco and the Bay Area to rebuild for his glory and for our good. So will you go on this journey with us? to rebuild for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Father, we thank you that you have actually finished the work that we could never finish, God. You've put the pieces back together, God, and we are not on our own. I thank you that your word tells us that you will be with us always so we're not alone on the journey but god would you give us the boldness to rebuild in the city would you would you give us the resolve and the strength to rebuild in the city god we need you we need your power and your spirit to go before us father we want to see people come to saving faith we want to see marriages restored god we want to see households claimed For Jesus Christ's name. So help us, God. Help us to rebuild. Lord, help us. Help us to rebuild for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Love you, church.